Tina, the dental hygienist from Kentucky, go all the way? Can Rachel, the attorney from Texas, really compete with Alexis, the aspiring dolphin trainer? Find out on... Wait, I'm being told this copy is from the 2017 season of The Bachelor, which is weird since it's 100% applicable to this show. And now here are the only hosts in podcasting who still use dial-up, Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hello, everybody. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I are performers. We had a live comedy show where we used the internet as our script. It was called Blog Logs. We did that for a lot of years, and we got to explore the internet. Uh, And it was coming out of that that we made a web series called Two Girls, One Show, where we interviewed people behind posts that we found interesting, and then we went on scripted adventures. And now here we are with Two Girls, One Podcast, where we are focused on interviewing people in internet communities and part of phenomena that we find really fascinating. Uh, There's so much to explore on the internet. We thought that we had gone pretty deep into the dark corners, but today we're going even deeper. Yeah, girl, we're going even deeper. (laughs) Yeah. So what do I mean? What are we doing? Also, hi, Matt. Hi. Hello. Oh, hey, hey, hi. How are you? (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Okay. So there are people that are paid Often by the the company itself to break into it, and we're talking security, cyber wise, to find the privacy flaws and say, "Hey, here's a flaw because I just broke it." And I actually am acquaintances with a guy who does this. Really, <laughs> so I, I had known about. All- uh, yeah, well, when I was living in San Francisco, I would hang out with this like huge group of Spaniards. Through my friend Morgan. <laughs> and uh, one of the Spaniards is like, the, this is what he does. And he's like, apparently pretty, he apparently he's very good at it. He also, he, I mean, it's public. Like he also like goes to conferences and speaks about security flaws and stuff. But like he's paid to break into shit. But what we're looking into today are the people who are paid to break into shit and the people who are just going rogue. Like I listened to one of the episodes about, a guy who like basically when he was a kid watched the blackfish documentary and was like, fuck SeaWorld and took SeaWorld <laughs> offline. Yeah. And when you say one of the episodes, we are talking with the creator and host of Darknet Diaries, a podcast. Oh, yeah, that was a key detail that I yeah. <laughs> a, a podcast that is blowing up right now that is really looking at everything Ellie just described, um, hacking, data breaches, cybercrime. And uh, what I am gathering is the gray line between the good and the bad out there. But to take it back to the Spaniard, Ellie, was he working for the Spanish government? Like, are we allowed to say that on air? <laughs> That's no. the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I just texted Morgan before this. I'm like, hey, your friend who breaks into shit. I think he's a consultant. Like, I think he's hired by different companies to, I think he works by himself and he's hired by different companies to break into them and let them know what their security flaws are. Yeah, yeah. I believe the term that you're searching yeah. for is penetration tester. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That term always makes me giggle. I wasn't sure so, if you heard that. It was penetration tester. That term does not fail to make me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what really keeps this episode in line with all of our episodes. It's just a different kind That's of right. porn. Yeah, a different kind of penetration testing. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, look. Even even this show is pretty sexy. Let's take a listen. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. <laughs> That's hot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I just came. <laughs> Jack needs to get a job in one of those Second Life brothels. We'll get um, our last guest to hire him. Yeah. But seriously, it's a very entertaining podcast. And, uh, you know, it's a really interesting mix of storytelling and interviews. So... I don't know if we're going to get too much into like the format of how he does it, but just for those of you who haven't listened yet, it's it's incredibly entertaining whether you know anything about this world or not. I always describe it when I recommend the show as This American Life for Hackers. Mm. 
Mm. Definitely, I can yeah, do that. Yeah, and some of it is like very much the physical world. Like you have to see if you would be allowed in and then allowed access to a certain room to then like fuck up their computers. So I also listened to an episode where this hacker, his mom did like the financials for the company. He worked with his mom and his mom was like, I want to do a penetration. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to that one too. Yeah. I think it's one of the most recent ones, but yeah. And this mom sound sounds like a badass bitch. She was like, I got this. Cause she had like worked in food services or something. And she was just like, you know, and it's, it's interesting too. Cause I think bias really comes into play here. Right? Like she's like a woman in her sixties. Like no one fucking thinks she's a hacker. Right. But I was also thinking like some of the situations that some of the hackers get themselves into, I'm like, if they were black men, they'd be dead. <laughs> like one mm-hmm. one guy, he's talking about how he like broke into this like military compound and they like threw him in a cell or something. There was like crazy fucking shit. And I'm like, you'd probably just be shot if you weren't a white dude. But then they break in and, you know, they tell them that they're flawed. So that thought certainly went through my mind as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, um, I don't know. We're going to look at hacking communities specifically today. And Jack did provide us with a list of hacking communities that to me sounds sort of like, uh, I don't know, like Pokemon names or something. I don't know. I don't understand like <laughs> what they are. What? So we might dig into some things you've never heard of, even if you are familiar, <laughs> I would think. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what Snorlax is. The Snorlax yeah. community. I have no clue, but apparently it's very, very hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so into this dark net shit. Like I'm into it. So, well, I was going to say, I was going to save this for Jack, but maybe I'll just quickly ask it now because I don't want to sound like an idiot. What, what, what are we talking about here when we say dark net? I think it's usually, um, like a private peer to peer network. So it the idea is that it's not a public network and you're able to break in. And then I think the dark net idea is that is um, these non-private networks that are often used for illegal activity. So hackers on the dark net, uh, you know, shutting down SeaWorld kind of thing. I think that's what it is. You know, I like that he calls the show dark net because I, th- I think what he's conveying is just like mysterious hacking activity. He doesn't call it dark web. Dark web it's a thing that people I think misunderstand. They think the dark web is like, oh, that's where you go to buy drugs. But the dark web is literally like your email. Well, you can. <laughs> you can. You definitely can. Uh-huh. Uh, but a- the dark web is anything that is not indexed by a search engine or publicly clickable. Like basically, if you need a password to see that information, it's the dark web. So it's your bank account. It's your uh, email. It- it's not necessarily nefarious. And I don't know what the stats are these days, but there there used to be infographics that are like, here's the publicly accessible internet and here's the dark web. And it was like an iceberg where it's like a tiny little bit is the is the big is the main stuff and then underneath is all the the secret stuff that people use every day, you know? Isn't there also like a specific browser though to access the dark web? Well, it's I guess what I'm saying is dark web is a misnomer. Dark web is a broad term. But if you're specifically looking to buy drugs or illegal things, you can use uh, Tor or whatever to access places that are not typically visible to your average Googler. You know what I mean? Yeah. So excited to talk to him and hear stories about hackers hacking things. (laughs) Hack, hack, hack. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's get into our trivia. All righty. And I have it. I have the trivia today right here. Can you hear it? Is that something called paper? Is it a book? It's on a technology called paper. The only secure way to deliver trivia in 2020. (laughs) All right. Do you actually have paper there that you were shuffling or is that a sound effect? No, it's real paper, uh, but it's just a prop. I would never use paper. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. You should okay. use it now that you have it. <laughs> Just <thought>. yeah. <laughs> I, went, I went to all the trouble yeah. to get the paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today's episode is about hackers, and I've got a pretty, uh, pretty great hacking story for you today. Uh, in January of 2019, or as we like to call it, 5,000 years ago. Yeah. A hacker <laughs> gained remote access to more than 300 Nest home security cameras. You guys familiar with these these yes. things? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, they logged into dozens of these cameras, which allowed the hacker to, of course, see inside of people's homes, but more importantly, 
he could talk to them using the built-in speaker. So you're just living your life at oh. home, making a sandwich, and all of a sudden, some stranger is speaking to you through your own security camera. How great is that? That's terrible. I love it. <laughs> the hacker made one simple demand of his victims before releasing control of the camera. What was his demand? Ooh, I have three choices. I like this. Choice A, show at least one nipple to the camera. Just a minimum of one. You could go it's more. It's just like a nipple vigilante. Yes. Free the nipple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. B, dab in front of the camera three times. You know the dab, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh -huh. okay. okay. Or C, subscribe to PewDiePie on YouTube. And of oh, course, prove that you have subscribed. Oh, it's that one. I'm going with C. Allie goes with C. I mean, that was a big campaign, so that's not, that wouldn't be surprising to me. All right, Jams. Yeah, I don't like the idea of a nipple vigilante, so I'm going to go with B, <laughs> dabbing three times. Okay. Allie goes with PewDiePie. Mm -hmm. Jen goes with Dab. We will find out the correct hacking demand after this commercial break. Hello, listeners. We wanted to take a special moment in today's show to thank our Patreon supporters at $10 or more. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making this show great. You didn't even have to hack our system in order to pay us. It just went straight through Patreon, <laughs> the good old-fashioned way. <laughs> And you're really helping us in this time. So thank you. Special thanks to Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Melissa Elliott, James Dozier, Christopher Latch, Kathy Phillips, and William. All of you are sexy, but those people are sexier. But you can be <laughs> sexy too if you go to patreon.com slash 2G1P. And now a real advertisement entitled... Site for finders, keepers, losers, weepers, Craigslist.org. Burgundy Fitbit lost on a, a March 8th. The screen displays a, an anatomical fun fact about me. Where are you, little Fitbit? What do we think the anatomical fun fact is? Oh. I thought it would be about uh, penetration testing, which you can track <laughs> on Fitbit. <laughs> Who needs the trivia answer? <laughs> I do. Yeah, let's hear it. I think I'm right. January 2019, a hacker hacked into dozens of Nest cameras, which like, I'm sorry, side note, you, you're putting a fucking video camera in your house. You're just asking to be hacked. You really are. What was the demand of this hacker? A, was it show a nipple? B, dab in front of the camera. That was Jen's choice. Or C, subscribe to PewDiePie on YouTube. That was Allie's choice. And mm -hmm. Allie, you were very confident in this She answer. was. She was. So confident <laughs> that I believe she is correct. But let's see. <laughs> I just know that was like a huge out of hand campaign. So it makes a lot of sense if that's the answer. Mm -hmm. For the correct answer... Listen up. Now you're in your home, you're minding your own business, and then your camera turns on and you hear this. Excuse me, mister. Excuse me. I said mister. <laughs> Can you please subscribe to PewDiePie? That's my only request. I'll go away if you do. Why is man staring at the camera? Oh, please, please subscribe. Please, please subscribe. Oh, oh. 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 <laughs> Thank you, bro. I really appreciate that. Allie gets it right. Nailed it. Yeah. That's funny, but it's also so scary. Like, they could have asked anything. <laughs> they could have said, put all of your money in, uh, yeah, on your front porch and tell me where you yeah, live. Right, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was covered in Vice in Motherboard. And uh, the hackers here sound young and they sound very mischievous. And, and it was, there was this whole, I don't know if it's directly connected to PewDiePie being in this race, he 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 was the most subscribed YouTube channel of all time for many years, and then there was like a Bollywood Indian yeah. channel that was uh, that had surpassed him. So I think a lot of people were um, rallying to keep him on top or his fans or whatever. But yeah. so while these guys were a little bit silly and mischievous, 
they spoke to Vice and Motherboard and said, like, hello, these Nest cameras are terrible. Like, you the, see this as a warning. Their password options were were awful and uh, did it more as like a public stunt to raise awareness about security flaws in these cameras. So, wow, uh, so they did a it little good. bit, a little huh. bit black hat, a little bit white hat, maybe. I like that. Well, speaking of all of that, we're about to learn all about it. We have our guests with us now. Please welcome the creator and host of Darknet Diaries, Jack Resider. Welcome, Jack. Hi, thanks for having me here. I'm excited to be here. We are so thrilled to have you. Your podcast is awesome. We know it's blowing up right now. Um, and we were really excited to dig into it in preparation for you coming. So we know that there's like a log line that tells us what this podcast is about. But we were curious in your own words, if you could describe, I'm sure those were your own words too in the log line, but <laughs> could you describe for us what Darknet Diaries is all about to those of us, uh, those out there who are uninitiated with the show? Yeah, it's kind of like a true crime meets cybercrime. And so, uh, you know, it's hacker stories that, um, hackers who may have broken the law or people who work um, on cybercrime type of jobs and stuff. So uh, you might hear a story from a penetration tester whose job it is to break into a building. Or you might hear stories about nation states hacking each other or something. So any, anything that has to do with like uh, hacking <laughs> is, uh, is what I try to cover in the show. And I do it in, a, in, a, in an exciting manner where it's like a high drama and music and stuff like that. And I try to be as as truthful as I can as well by doing a lot of fact checking at the same time. Okay. Awesome. We know you worked in cybersecurity, I think, but can you tell us why you decided to do this? It was a show I wanted to hear, right? And I was like listening to This American Life and Radio Lab and stuff like that. And these are great shows that bring you into stories that you never thought you would ever care about. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you're like, uh, well, I, and so my passion was security. And I was do, working in InfoSec and doing cybersecurity kind of work. And mm -hmm. uh, I was like, where is the podcast that just has like these, these are high drama shows and, or, you know, stories. And mm -hmm. I think they would work in an audio format perfectly. So I asked a bunch of podcasters if they could do it and nobody really understood what I was talking about. So <laughs> I, I spent some time learning how to podcast and just went for it myself. And here I am like three years on now. Wow. I was curious, how do you tend to get connected to your guests? As we might imagine that some of them would prefer to be anonymous or like, how, how do you even find the people? Yeah. So some of the guests I have are like, people from the NSA have come on my show and spoken publicly about stuff they've done at the NSA. Um, you know, ex, ex hackers for hire, um, ex criminal hackers and that kind of thing. So yeah, there is some hard to reach people that I'm getting on the show. And, you know, some, one of the things is just the magic of editing where I can spend two years like grooming someone to please come on my show, please. And then they finally say yes. So it just seems like I'm throwing out one after another, but a lot of these guests take a long time to get. Like I was saying, this part of my job was to be into security for a while. So I was, I was defending networks. I was securing the, the edge of the of the, of the network for companies. And so I was going to conferences and I was meeting a lot of people. So I already had a knowledge of who's in this world of, of security. And, and so, you know, already there, I can start grabbing people who I know have given talks at places where I've met and stuff like that. But, you know, some of the harder ones, you know, there's people who, when they get out of jail, cause they were in jail for hacking, <laughs> They say, hey, what's going on, everyone? And then people are like, you need to tell your story to Jack. And so then they reach out to me. And it's this is twice now people have gotten out of prison and reached out to me and said, I'm ready to tell my story. I can't Let's wait for someone to hear there. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, who are you? I don't know anything about it. And then they send me like their uh, indictment or their, or, you know, <laughs> court trade. Okay, so, you, so you've spoken to two people who were in jail for their hacking. Mm -hmm. What yeah. were they in jail for? The first one was the Xbox Underground story. So they act, this guy hacked into Microsoft and Epic and Valve and World of Warcraft and all these different video game companies to get early access to video games before they came out. Like that was his big motivation to just hack into these things. And that got out of control and people started looking for him and he went to prison for a while. That's one of my favorite episodes. And it's a two-part episode. Mm -hmm. And it's literally, without spoiling anything, it's a bunch of kids who want to play video games. And then it goes, as Jack said, goes really bad, really south. And it's a crazy fucking story. I love yeah. it. And so I had no idea that story existed. And then this guy, Sanad, from the story, he just messages me on Twitter and says, hey, I've been told to reach out to you. <laughs> and that's how it started. And then he shows me the, you know, wired article that covers him and stuff. And 
so what happened was Wired did a story and they didn't get a chance to interview him because he was in prison and stuff. And so when he got out, he saw that there was a story about him and they, nobody talked to him. So he was like, I want to tell my story from my point of view. And I was like, all right. So then from there, I was able to connect with all the other people who were in the Wired article and uh, it really helped. And that's one of my tricks is to kind of wait for another journalist to do all the hard work. <laughs> yeah. And then just go report the story by talking to the same people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are any of your guests concerned about their identity or what? Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I push to the edge, right? So I say, hey, I just heard that you hacked this thing. Are you willing to tell me about it on the show? Because there's sometimes people tweeting about it. Like, hey, I just took down this website. And they're like, no way. I just did like a, a very illegal thing. And I'm like, I know, but you're tweeting about it. So <laughs> I, how much do you, yeah, are you willing to hell? go out there? I got a lot of no's because they're like, no way. I would never tell you any. I would never tell you anything. But um the, just the, wait there for are it. Some... You know, keep bothering them. Another month or two. You were just saying it takes a while to lock them down. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, but uh, just a few people were were either wanting to keep their name out of it or slightly change their, you know, change the pitch of their voice. And one even had me like ha- I had a voice actor uh, say everything that they told me wow. in the interview because they didn't want it. Mm. And that's the best way to hide someone's voice because uh, you know the NSA has ways of <laughs> undoing whatever pitch <laughs> modulation I do and fix it. Yeah, so. interesting. Maybe this is too much for too early in this interview, but have you ever leaked something on the podcast that should not have been leaked? <laughs> I, it's, no, it's a good question because there was this one, I think it was the Las Vegas Sands got hacked, um, the, Ve- the Las Vegas um, casino, right? And as I was just researching the story, I found so much about their network that I don't think I should have found. And it was just stuff that was just out on the open. Um, specifically, like their head of security, right? Head of information security, uh, quit the job. And then he was posting his like resume on, on LinkedIn and saying, well, here's all the stuff I did at Las Vegas Sands. I ran this, you know, software that has this version and it was, you know, located in these different data centers. And I was like, oh my gosh, you like, this guy lists so much of their network infrastructure. After they got hacked. Yeah, I also know that I shouldn't hire you because when you look for your next job, you will expose all of my security flaws. Yeah, it was it was really embarrassing. So I I, I had to make the decision. Should I say like their whole infrastructure? Because that's kind of interesting. What does a what does a casino have in terms of a cyber security network? Uh, so I you know I had to make the decision. Do I just expose it all? Because their their ex employee did. Um, yeah. or should I be nice and not like really talk about all that? And what did you so do? I didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was, it was hard to make that call of like, it's just right there in the open. I'm not, I didn't hack but anything. You are, you are a journalist now. And those are questions that journalists have to deal with all the time. And that's very interesting. Yeah, that's something I don't know anything about. So I'm desperate to learn. I, I, I have talked to a lot of other journalists to say, what would you do in this situation to try to figure out what the ethics are there? And yeah, there's a lot of new things I'm learning. Jack, who is your audience primarily? Do you have any idea about that or just based on the reactions you've been getting? No, I took a survey in 2018 and um, it's mostly people who are in IT. But I really try to target anyone who's just fascinated with the world of IT. Like we, we use computers and phones and stuff. And so most of us are fascinated with that just because they're like, what, what's beyond this? Like, what does it mean when hacker gets caught in the news? Like, what does that even mean? Like, are these people in, in their basement or what? And, you know, so I, I kind of want to tell that story to the general audience. Like, well, here's exactly what they did. Well, they didn't even hack. They just found the password written on a piece of paper. So what is that? Is that a hack or not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and it, it brings you closer to the story of, oh, well, that's something I could have done or I could have made that mistake or something. And, and I really want to have that larger audience and not just people who are focused on securing their computers. Yeah. I think that that's what's really important is that, you know, we're sort of venturing into this new world with no concept of the responsible way to do it. I think the mainstream public should have more of an understanding of security, myself included. You know, I'm not going to tell you what my password is on air, but like it's not very secure. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to help. And and what I do is I see a lot of people who say they've quit their job and they went to security, like they went to go get a you know a beginner level job in security or got certs and now they got a job in security. And, and it was because of the inspiration of my show. So it's interesting to see the impact it's having as well. Nice. Yeah. I, I have a quick question really adjacent to Ali and I'll start by saying I fully agree with Ali of course that people need to know what they're doing on the internet and leaving you know these trails and and leaving themselves susceptible and I I want to play qu- a quick devil's advocate and say well I drive a car and I should probably know like how the mechanics of the car work and the engine works and everything because oh, yeah, I'm I shouldn't in a... be allowed to drive. I'm driving every day That's and I'm like, I'm who let me do this? I'm the first person to yell at people about bad technology practices, but I just worry that most people cannot. These are very complicated systems and most people cannot comprehend them in the same way that I will never comprehend the the, the death mobile that I drive every day. You right, know what I mean? but okay, Jack's just going to sit down while I argue with Matt. Okay. <laughs> But here's the thing, right? It's the basic understanding, right? You Mm -hmm. know how to turn on your windshield wipers and your blinkers and you know, you know the basics. You don't know how it works, right? So like I think everyday people should know how the windshield wipers work. You know what I mean? But we don't we. Yeah, you're right. Like, I don't I'm not going to understand like, I don't know how a telephone works. Like, I don't know that we need to understand like the actual technology behind it. Like, not everyone's going to be a coder but i think Mm -hmm. that the general public that we have like no idea (laughs) how this shit works and we're using it every day to put it another way you don't need a a license to use the internet and maybe you should yes yes an an educational course we got there let's go back to talking thanks for your time jack we're gonna we're gonna continue the show without you (laughs) there's an analogy i like using about automobiles as well which is um like whose job is it to keep the road safe is it our job as a driver is it the police's job as watching it is it the civil engineer's job to make sure it's straight and not bumpy and that there's not too many you know too fast of a speed limit or you know or what and it's like everyone's job at once and it's the same thing in in computer world where it's the users that need to be safe it's the manufacturer of the computers that need to make sure that they're not doing things dangerous to our users and there's you know laws and protections in place okay so what you're saying is that matt and i are not responsible for the car analogy because i was feeling really good about us and um, no the opposite as a user, you have to drive safely, but it's all, we also need uh, our government to make the correct rules and, and educational materials available. I, I, I freaking love this, uh, yeah. where this analogy has no, gone. No, I was just Thank saying, you, Jack. Jack already did the car analogy. I thought that you mm-hmm. and I like really broke mm-hmm. ground mm-hmm. here, but apparently we didn't. No, no. Yeah, no. So, okay. So, we're all in agreement. This is great. Let's wrap. <laughs> um, well, I guess let's like take it back a little, sort of looking at the like larger categories i want to say so can you tell our listeners about like white hat versus black hat so these are different kinds of hackers um the black hat is the hacker who does things that they're not allowed to do they've taken control of a computer that they're not supposed to own or they don't own they don't have access they don't have permission to come in and do stuff Um, However, a white hat has been given permission to see if you can hack us. Like, here's some money. You know, we know you're good at, 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 you know, hacking things. See if you can hack us. So um, this is this is kind of interesting that I I don't even know if there is something similar to that in in another analogy of some kind where people pay to test like stress test whatever it is you built and if you built a a network that's secure and you pay a hacker to come see if you can get into it i think that's such a fascinating concept and so that's what the white hat hacker is and then somewhere in the middle is gray hat and i think anything that's just not legal or you don't have permission to do would start getting into gray hat and so, like, if if you see like your neighbor's network is insecure, and you get in there and so you secure it and get out, and just because you wanted to be a nice neighbor or something, that would that would still be gray hat because you, even though you had good intention, um, it was stuff you didn't own and didn't have permission to get into. So mm-hmm. there's a whole spectrum of this kind of hat thing. Right. And I know on your podcast, you've covered a bit of social justice hacking or people fighting injustices through hacking. So I would imagine that's somewhere in the middle where they're not technically being paid, but it's ethical still probably. I I don't know. Is that great? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's fun to explore that and see is where is the line where like I I like to do that on on the show is let's let's listen to this person's story and figure out where they 
where the line, where they cross the line? Did they break the law here or where? And where, where would you wave your finger at them and say, no, that's not right. You shouldn't have done that. And, <laughs> and you, you hear like some of these stories where they go all the way down the line and you, by the time you're like, absolutely no, you should not have done this. But where was that winger, finger waving started? I don't know if this is available yet, but I'm interested in the white hat category of people who are hired to identify flaws. When a company hires a hacker to identify said flaws, what percentage does the hacker succeed in finding a flaw? And what percentage are they like, yep, you're good, you're secure? I I think... This is the, the I think this is the dilemma that a lot of us face in, in as network security people is is the attacker only has to be right once. And so if they knock on this door and didn't work, they can knock on another door and another door and another door. And most networks have a lot of doors or windows that you can get into their network with. And so they just keep going down the line until they find one that's insecure. And if with enough time and enough money and enough resources, they can find a way in. Absolutely. Even if the, all the doors are completely locked and secure, um, you can find somebody who works in the company who's just kind of a little disgruntled or something, and you can pay them to say, hey, can you sneak this in for me? <laughs> when they hire someone, is there a certain amount of success where the company's like, oh, okay, fine, nobody's going to, no one else is going to do that, though, that's fine? Or like, do they have to fix every flaw that is found? I would fix every flaw, because okay. what, what a lot of these white hat um, tests are is... Like a company will say, okay, we'll test only our, our main server, our production server, but don't test our development servers or our backup servers. And a hacker is not going to be like, oh, I should only try to hack your main servers. I'm not going to try to hack into through the back door and your product on <laughs> your development server and stuff. So these companies, a lot oftentimes they'll see a vulnerability on a development server and say, oh, that's development. We're not going to keep that up to secure, you know, fully up to date because we're, that's experimental. That's just where you sandbox stuff. Of course, that's going to have some problems. That kind of rationale just doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. How common is penetration testing? Do like do most companies per- well, partake Jen, in this? Per- yeah. Before quarantine, it was a lot more common. Um, but yeah. after quarantine, penetration testing has gone way down. Yeah, <laughs> take take it back a little bit, Jen. When a mommy and a daddy love each other. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jack is just sitting there, like, why Poor the Jack. fuck did I agree to come on this show? <laughs> I just okay. The uh, there the, it's it's not as common as you think. A lot of companies just think, oh, well, we have it, we got it. Don't worry about it. We, it's it's secure, and so they don't actually test the security of it. Um, so yeah, I don't know of actual percentage. I would say I don't know half or less than half of companies would do it. Um, and then the the other question was you know how successful are they i would say most of the time the white hat hackers who try to do a penetration test on company are successful I, like 90% of the time um rarely do they not have find a way in but some of their tricks i don't know do you when you listen to the show do you find that some of them are slimy cuz like somebody somebody says oh we're from a charity like one of these penetration testers says we're from a charity and we want to uh you know highlight how good of a charitable organization you are can we come and meet you in your office and so that's like their trick to get into the building and then once they you know meet in the office they start plugging in <laughs> to ports and stuff yeah. and it's like well that was a slimy way to get in a slimy way to get in but ultimately it's not harming anyone it's for the greater good of the companies so right yeah there it is but there some penetration testers have like uh, mantras and rules that like as long as you do no harm like if you mm-hmm. try to um you know send a phishing email that says see who in the office is you know got coronavirus um and so you're like well i don't i want to see who's got coronavirus so you click the email but it was like a phishing email that might do harm because if somebody you know if their family member or somebody died from coronavirus, that would be like, dude, you totally like, like this is bringing up real pain for me. And so you really don't want to like do harm as a, as a social engineer or a penetration tester. But that's the other thing that is very um, eye-opening about the stories on the show is that you think, oh, what, what, what cool tech gadgets and gizmos and tricks are these hackers going to use? And nine times out of 10, they're just tricking people and and playing to their biases or or whatever and it really has very little to do with technology at the point of uh at the point of penetration right 
Yeah, my running joke here is that the the best hacking tool you have is a clipboard because you walk yeah. into an office with a clipboard in your hand, you look like you're supposed to be doing something official and like you're checking stuff off on boxes and things. So <laughs> Noted. You just, people let you in. <laughs> yeah, but you do have to have some level of tech. I mean, just getting in is one thing, but then like throw, you know, a little Raspberry Pi or some small computer into a network port and then just keep walking or something, you know, that's that might be a foothold inside the network that you can access from anywhere in the world. All right. So we wanted to get into some specific hacking communities now, and you provided us with a list. So we want to run down through some of these different groups because obviously we're not familiar with them. So talk to us, first of all, about what is the demo scene and where scene of the 90s? Yeah, I mean, I... I was kind of growing up in the 90s. And so when I got my computer, which I feel like I was pretty privileged at the time to have a computer at home with internet access. I mean, if you think about the 90s, we didn't have companies that had like websites in the 90s. There wasn't social media and stuff. So the, so internet in the 90s was very geeky mm-hmm. and like, you, you're an internet kind of person. You're a computer <laughs> kind of geek, right? It was, it was fringe. For some reason, my grandma was fringe and she bought a computer. I don't understand that still today. I don't know if she was a Russian <laughs> spy. Grandma. But. <laughs> yeah, but Hi. she had like the first version of Windows. Like who buys the first version of Windows and everything? But anyway, I would go to her house and I would I'd use the computer. And so some of the things that I, and I learned in, or, you know, I was, part of this is the community i was part of right it's the demo scene and this is where people would create uh, graphics and and flashy animations and music and kind of make it look cool like the computer's doing something cool and so i was using um trackers which that's the name of the software is a tracker to make music and basically what you do is you take like a wave file of of a key like a c note of a piano or something and the software could like distort it so it could pitch it up or down to make different notes. And then you could like, you know, add filters and stuff. And that was really fun to to make music out of just a couple, you know, sound files. And this was fun because there were there were like demo scene parties and stuff that you could come and bring your latest music or, or graphics or stuff. Whatever you were making that was cool on the computer, we'd get together and share these things. So cool. The other thing that was there and I won't say how much I was involved or not, was was but was where's and so where's is still going on today. But um, you know, as a teenager looking at the internet, I see this stuff and I'm like, what's that? And where's was anything that was really pirated software. So you had a new video game came out. Um, it had like a, a serial that you would have to you know serial number you'd have to put in in order to play it. Um, but somebody would figure out how to crack that serial number and how to crack that game to allow you to play it without the serial number and stuff like that. And so there was um, a huge group of people online at the time of the 90s, and it's still going on, that was just sharing all this stuff and saying, oh, I was able to crack this uh, thing or I I, I scanned this book to be a PDF, (laughs) stuff like that. So that that was big in the 90s. That was just kind of the seeds of what the internet was starting to be. That's awesome. I love the idea of like making a PDF being like anti-establishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Totally. Um, okay. Talk to us about Anonymous. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you know of an Anonymous. So maybe you have questions about this. I didn't quite bring a story, but <laughs> when you hear Anonymous, what do you, what do you think of? What do you, what are you interested in? Interesting. Well, Matt, I think well, you should take this one because you're probably what? the most familiar. Uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just think of you don't know who they are. Like, what? I don't. I'm oh, you guys are really here. not familiar with with not anonymous. Super, no, I mean, no idea. Of, What's happening? My baseline understanding of anon is is a lar- a pretty large distributed network or organization of hackers that are to put it vaguely like social justice motivated of like if they see a wrong in the world they want to fix it and they and they're they're vigilante hackers but it's not like three people who you know always do the same thing it's probably hundreds or thousands of people and my um what i don't understand is like is there a leader is there a a mantra that they all abide by is it loose affiliations of many groups like you know what, what does this look like at an organizational level if it even is truly an organization yeah that's that's all good um, thanks for being here matt <laughs> that's a great contribution i'm into it now go on yeah i mean it's it's kind of a mystery because 
there is a lot of talk. I mean, there was. It's kind of died down a bit, but there was a lot of talk about Anonymous in the news in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, all the way to like 2012, 13. Um, they were pretty hot in the news. And yeah, it was just a group of activist hackers, mostly. I think they would kind of hover around certain areas of the internet. So like 4chan and uh, different IRC groups, or, you know, IRC is the chat rooms, other places like that, forums, and they would see something in the news that just, they, that didn't look good. You know, somebody's extorting or killing or something didn't go right in their worldview. Um, a couple of targets they had was uh, the Church of Scientology they thought was a cult. And so they started ta targeting the Church of Scientology to expose them and try to get them to go out of business or arrested or something. And so there was a, you know, a great movement to try to get them down. Um, Wait, some... what? Okay. Did we put a pin in it? Because I want to know all about trying to hack the Scientologists. Did you ever see that Tom Cruise video where he's talking about Scientology and he's all excited about it? And Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So it was Anonymous who kind of drummed that up and exposed that to the world to sort of make fun of, of Scientology and such. Mm. They have done all kinds of other things like, um, well, they, they, you know, they organized protests, like physical protests, where people would go in front of the Church of Scientology and wave signs at everyone driving by and say, this is a, this is a scam, you know, and this kind of thing. Because I live in L.A. and I, I heard pre-coronavirus that there's a brunch like once a month for like people who might be interested. And my friend and I have really wanted to go to the Scientology brunch. But my roommate mm. is like, don't do it because they will harass you till you die. That's true. I have gone once to get an IQ test because I thought that was, <laughs> you know, simple enough. And yeah. I've been getting mail from them for the last decades. Yeah. but uh. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently they'll follow you no matter where you move to. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so anonymous, like, it's it's fascinating that, that Matt said that there's so, sort of a social justice group, right? And this is, this is kind of interesting to see how this has morphed and how anonymous has morphed over time, because, like, social justice warrior has kind of taken on a negative tone, right? But back in the 2008, 2009 time, that was great. That was, like, these same people who used to think that it was great to try to do social justice activism are now the same people who are saying, oh, those social justice warriors out there are messing things up because <laughs> they, they're using this, this language in just, it's the same people, but it's using the language totally different. So, so here's some other things that they would do. If they didn't like a business, they would call the business constantly to try to keep the phones busy. Uh, they would send a lot of fax messages to the place, like just straight black. Faxes? Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you do whatever you can to harass someone. So they would send faxes that were just a black square. So the whole page came out black and they would send a thousand faxes to this company. So their fax machine was just constantly pumping out black paper and using up the, all the ink and the, and the phone line and stuff. Some of it was for good and some of it was dogpiling at the same time, right? So you, you whistle blow onto a certain group or person and that person may not have deserved that sort of thing. So there's always goods and bads. And, and internally, some anonymous members would fight with each other, say, hey, um, I don't like that you're doing that. I'm going to expose you. And so now, <laughs> now some members of anonymous are getting doxxed and exposed because other members of anonymous didn't like it. And so it was just a wild time. Um, Anonymous doesn't really do that much hacking anymore. There's, I mean, recently there's been some stuff, but I don't even know if that's that significant on the on the map of what they've done before. Speaking of social justice activism, I, a little sidebar. I was curious what your thoughts are on the whole K-pop stan, the the like affecting the attendance at Trump's rally. Oh my gosh, that just came. Oh, that well, makes yeah, me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that one, that one is the the K-pop thing is just coming out of left field. I was not, it was not on my radar that <laughs> these people were involved with any sort of organized activism of any kind there was they did other stuff too recently what was it yeah. before that they uh flooded the i think all lives matter hashtag or it might have been the white lives matter hashtag yeah, but they flooded it so you matter. couldn't find information on it yeah that was amazing yeah that was amazing killing it it was it reminds me of how you were saying you know usually it starts out like video gamers just like fucking with their friends then you're fucking with larger communities like k-pop are like kind of the new hackers <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like the level one. And I love that, like, 
they fucking fucked Trump's rally. But it's also so interesting how the media covers it, right? Because then all the... There's so many outlets being like, what Trump's low attendance means for the campaign. And I'm like, if this article doesn't mention K-pop, then you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. K-pop and TikTok. Yeah. Gen Z will save us all. I'm into it. (laughs) The Zoomers. We love them. Yeah, Yeah, this is a win for them for sure. Totally. All right. Another community is something called Botnet Sellers. Uh, Gotta be honest, I have no idea what the fuck that is. Okay. This one, there's this whole group of people who create botnets and sell them. And so a botnet is where you take control over computers you don't own and get them to do something in unison together. So if you take over a thousand computers, you can then tell all thousand of those computers to, um, I think the most common thing is to attack. So you, you send a whole bunch of packets to a specific website or something, and you can take that website down because it's flooded. It's overloaded. Can't handle any more traffic because there's a thousand things happening at the same time. I think mostly this is teenagers. I'm, I might be uh, over uh, analyzing it, but it seems to me like a lot of teenagers are doing this. Um, and yeah, what they do is they download a script uh, or a program that figures out a way to scan the internet for vulnerable computers, and then they get their botnet to be put on those computers. And then they sell that. So they say, okay, you want to use my botnet. I have you know 50,000 computers that you can do whatever you want to. For an hour, you can have it for, you know, five bucks or something. And so they they have this whole marketplace. And then, of course, there's forums of people who have, you know, improving their botnets and getting it better and bigger. And I was just kind of blown away by how many people are involved in this and how it's just right there in the open of, of Instagram as well. Okay, pizza plug groups, go. Yeah, so this is where, this is where I started getting into weirder groups on on so i don't know what this pizza pizza plug and cook groups are kind of in the same group here so let's go with cook groups first so a cook group is um a group this is uh, these are the weird groups that uh, the kids are doing these days (laughs) yeezys what's do you guys know what yeezys are is that like kanye west's nickname (laughs) he says he has a shoe line which I don't know why. Anyway, there's shoes that he makes and he designs. But for some so reason, he doesn't it, have. I d- yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the cool, guys. <laughs> yeah, Kanye's shoes. <laughs> Great job, Zoomer. Thanks. Okay. Um, he makes these shoes, but he doesn't make enough for everyone. For some reason, they sell out everywhere. And it makes it so that the supply is like drawn out. So, and, and it's not just that. There's all kinds of different shoes out there that don't have a good stock. Same with Supreme. Like there's a Supreme clothing line that just isn't in stock anywhere. I don't understand this business model, but whatever. A cook group is a group that there's tons of cook groups. There's probably dozens or or hundreds of cook groups out there who are really into this. And they want to know where can I buy the latest Yeezy or the Air Jordan or whatever it is, the shoe out there. And they will find it and then they will sell that location to you. Because there's there's such there's huge shoe junkies out there in the world that just love shoes so much that they're like I need that shoe but I can't find it anywhere who can help me find it so they're kind of like a broker to say yeah, I know where that's for sale and you get involved in these groups and then they say okay here's wh- what shoe do you need and then they'll help you find the shoe but it's weird because it's doesn't make sense sometimes because then you start looking at people who are saying oh, I can get that shoe for you for half price. And you're like, wait a minute, how, do, how did that happen? First of all, it's nowhere in stock at all. Now you're saying you can get a new one for half price. In my size, something doesn't seem right here. Like there's n- something yeah. doesn't add up. So I think, I think some of the cook groups might be shady and scamming people. But um, this is, yeah, this is a big, big thing that just, I'm still under trying to understand it. And it's just anything that's hard to get items clothing related, I think is, is you get into these groups and they'll help you find it. And that's what a cook group is. I like it. Where are these groups mainly functioning on, on what platform would it be? Discord. It's discord. Okay. We love discord. Yeah, Discord.gg slash gg1p. Sorry, just had to put a plug in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the thing The discord seems to be the new IRC that I grew up with IRC or so internet relay chat and the chat rooms and stuff. But discord seems to be the thing because you can, you can lock it and invite people only, you know, as invite only and all these things. I don't know any good cook groups that I can recommend, but there's a lot out there that are doing this. That's wild. Okay. We got pizza plug. 
Yes, pizza plugs. (laughs) (laughs) I love these names. The uh, pizza plug, it's another Discord group, right? So there's lots of different pizza plug groups that you can get involved in. But what they seem to be doing is getting you cheap food. So you say, I want a pizza. And somebody says, okay, I'll get it. I'll order it. I'll deliver it to you. I'll come to your house. And you pay me half price for what it normally is. And then I'll get it sent to you. And <laughs> what so, is the incentive what... <laughs> for this delivery person? <laughs> so what's, so the, the person who's ordering it either has some sort of access where they have a coupon or they have some sort of uh, cheap way of buying pizzas, but they don't want to give you the cheap way of buying pizzas. So you buy the pizza from them and then they'll order the pizza in because pizza can come in whatever town you're in, whatever dress you're at, right? It's easy to order pizza remotely. And so they can get it all ordered up and send it to you. Great. And then you get the pizza at your house and it's for a discounted price. Okay. Does it work for ramen? For what? Ramen? 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 (laughs) Yeah, I'd be more interested in ramen than the pizza. I'm lactose intolerant. So I'm just wondering... So most of the things that you can get on like DoorDash or like Chipotle has their own um, delivery service as well. Like any kind of food delivery, I think it works on. Great. I'm in. Okay. How about... But, yeah. but hold on a second. I yeah. wouldn't join in because there's some people getting arrested over this. Even the people Allie. who are buying pizzas. <laughs> It'd be a good story. <laughs> yeah, it is a good story. I'm trying to get into one to understand more. I mean, I'm in different pizza groups. You but just told pizza me plug not groups. to do it, but you're doing it. <laughs> because I don't think it's legal. I don't think what these people are doing. How, explain to me how somebody's getting half-priced pizzas. Listen, you talk to my mother, it's going to all add up. Hey, hey, this is like if the mafia used the internet. It fell off a truck <laughs> is what we're saying here. That's what this is. Maybe when you open the box, it's half a pizza. <laughs> so, so I've been trying to infiltrate this to understand to the bottom of it what's going on here, and what I'm thinking is that people are are illegally getting pizzas. They're doing it by either they work there and they're able to order it through their employee discount or something like that, or they've hacked into certain apps. So for for instance, there's a Chipotle app that you can get on your phone and order Chipotle from there. But what if somebody was able to hack different Chipotle apps for different users, then they could just log in as that user and order because your, your credit card and everything is saved on the app. So you could say, oh, yeah, I'm this person and I'm ordering Chipotle and I'm going to have it delivered to somewhere across the country that wasn't me. And so so people have been seeing like a burrito being charged to their Chipotle that they didn't order and it's confusing. And one burrito, they let slide and that's fine. But if it happens like 20 times or something, then they're like, wait a minute, I didn't buy this or something. Because here's a question I'm wondering no, no, no. How? We ask the questions here. Yeah, okay. Go <laughs> no. ahead. No, sorry. What, what were you going to say? I, it's unrelated, but I'm wondering how much you could have something stolen out of your stuff before you finally raise a stink about it. Would f- a $5 burrito be enough for you to say, hey, Chipotle, I didn't do this, and you call yes. them up on the phone? Yes. Any amount of Would money it? that I didn't spend, I'm going to be like, what the fuck is happening? And Chase is really good with fraud. Chase texted me once and said, there's a charge for McDonald's. We think it's fraud. And I was like, you know me so well that you know I would never Mm -hmm. eat at McDonald's. Like it was like instantaneous. (laughs) It was like chicken nuggets for $3.99. We don't think this was you. Oh my gosh. You, somebody's doing pizza plugs on you. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Nugget plugs. Nugget plugs. (laughs) Nug plugs. In the business, we call it nug plugs. For sure, for sure, for sure. But Chase Chase flagged it immediately. I didn't even have to do anything is my point. Yeah, see, I get get nervous calling people up and saying, hey, uh, can you, I didn't do this. (laughs) So I just, and if if they argue with me and say, well, you know, it's just a burrito or something, we're not going to worry about it. Then I'm just going to be like, fine, whatever. So I, I get. I get I have a hard time arguing over five dollars, but it's less about the money and more about like, hey, yes, I agreed. didn't do this. And this could be something worse than five dollars in a week. Right. I think that, I don't, that's a f- I don't valid. need to wait till. Yeah. So, yeah, some people have been going to jail over this and specifically the people who are ordering the pizza. So they buy the pizza for half price. They get it to their house and then the cops show up and say, hey, you just bought an illegal pizza. We're going to arrest you. <laughs> 
And it's like, dude, I didn't know it was illegal. I was just in this forum and somebody said that they would do it for me. Okay, well, that's an illegal forum and stuff. So these pizza plug groups, I have not found one that's really good at actually delivering without being shady and illegal. Well, thanks for getting my hopes up and then dashing them. This was this was useless. <laughs> so what what is like the craziest hack that you have that you've heard about so far? Oh, I love I was hoping you would ask me something like that. I had some I had some stuff. Um, OK, so there's a pig farm in China. Love it already. (laughs) There's a pig farm in China. And for some reason, there's a rival pig farm group of people who don't like this pig farm. And they're like, we want this pig farm to go down. Great. And so what they did (laughs) is they came over and they poisoned the pigs. (gasps) Oh, that's fucked up. I don't like where this went. This took a turn. I know. All right. So they, they poisoned them, but they didn't want to go over there to poison them because they were afraid that the pig farmer might shoot them. So they brought drones over and dropped poison pellets from drones. This is So it was a drone attack on the pig farm. This is terrible. I know. It's really bad. So the farmer said, all right, you know, modern problems require modern solutions. So the dr- farmer, the pig farmer, got an anti-drone attacking tool, which would track drones in the sky and then shoot some sort of uh, jamming electromagnetic jamming radar at the drone, which would have it drop out of the sky. Uh-huh. And this was this worked. The, uh, <laughs> the, the pig farmer was successful at shooting the drones out of the sky. However, when planes would fly over this pig farm, the planes were getting their radar jammed and they were getting really big problems as they fly over the pig farm. And so the pig farm got complaints from the of aviation department of china to say stop your anti-drone guns because <laughs> we need to fly over this thing and so they had to i don't know what happened after that that's the whole story that i was caught up on that's <laughs> amazing that's so I, sad <laughs> what what, well, is yeah, there, what is the most what is a crazy positive hack like i'm interested in some of the like social justice stuff like what's a really fucking awesome mm. hack for good and is anything happening right now in terms of like Black Lives Matter and all the social justice stuff that's happening? Are there any mm-hmm. cool hacks going down? Yeah, I mean, this is where Anonymous has kind of revived out of the depths and said that they have taken down um, police department websites. And to me, when they take down the police department website, that just is down temporarily and it comes back up the next day. It doesn't really, that's not a big deal for me. Yeah. So K-pop is still in the lead, is what I'm hearing. K-pop is still in the lead. <laughs> However, the things that that Anonymous is saying is they're bringing to they're bringing all these documents out, and they're saying, "Oh, we have we have proof that this person is a pedophile, and this person is doing this, and there's are there's links between these these people and this person, and like all these people in power right now." And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, "Not a single other news channel is reporting on this. Like people are trying to re-report on this and say, okay, is there any facts to these documents?' So these documents do seem to be just brought out of nowhere. Um, maybe you know." not true and brought to the brought to the world and so and people are like thinking oh anonymous has uncovered this stuff and they jump on it and then they think oh who's why isn't anybody else covering it um it's really difficult to prove and you know anonymous doesn't really have essential things so that they can't be liable of slander (laughs) so they can say whatever they want and nobody can really bring them to anything so and but it's not entirely true there's a lot of anonymous hackers who have been brought to uh arrested and stuff years ago so they're not completely immune yeah it's uh, it's weird right now and that's kind of where it's kind of morphed is to is to bring out things that don't are always true and mm-hmm. they invent stories and conspiracy theories and yeah. that's kind of the space that they're activating in do you continue to be shocked at the massive uh lack of security of our technology or does nothing really surprise you in that realm anymore yeah, it's. I guess I'm not shocked by that. I'm shocked by how reliant we are on it. We don't have backups of things so that if it all goes down, we're screwed. And I think that happens so many times. And I'm just like, why haven't you done this? Um, I'm an adv- a privacy advocate. And so I'm always shocked at the level of data that's out there on us. Like, for instance, we didn't sign up for Equifax. <laughs> they just came and took all our data. 
and mm-hmm. say, here, it's ours now. And I didn't say, okay, you can. Yeah, I opt in. You can have my stuff. And then Equifax gets breached. And it's like, oh, well, I didn't say you could have this stuff. And now you get, now you've just let all my personal information into the hands of the hackers. That's not okay with me. So I'm always shocked by that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. For us normal folks and our listeners, what are the things that everyday people should be doing to secure our data that we're not? Turn on automatic updates on everything. So that's apps on your phone, apps on your computer, and mm-hmm. the operating systems as well. Interesting. Okay. That's a big thing. And then also use pa- a different password on every uh, website you use or everything that you have a password for. And you use you can do this by using a password manager and they'll have a unique password. They'll, they'll create a unique password for each website you go to. And then when you go to that website, your password manager will, will remember, okay, this is, um, this is a password for this site. You want to use it? And yeah, okay, go ahead. I don't know my passwords because the password manager knows it and I probably have never even seen it. Jack, quick question. What's a movie that depicts hacking well or reasonably accurately if any i like um mr robot okay uh that's a tv show on and amazon and that one and silicon valley has real people i know like people i actually have met in real life and know and consult with them yeah who's consulted with them to say here's here's why that doesn't work or does work or you know they actually give the, the story writers say here's where here's where the hacker starts and here's where the hacker ends how do we get them to go from here to here technologically, like what makes sense? And so they actually have these consultants to say, okay, well, if they could hack this, then they could hack that and, and they would use this tool. And so they actually have it spot on. And people have analyzed Mr. Robot to such extreme detail that they pause like frame after frame and say, okay, what was the command he typed there? <laughs> and then they'll say, okay, yep, that's, that's exactly right. Or they'll analyze the IP address there or the payload or something. And the, and the, the makers of the show know this. And so they'll put little uh, Easter eggs in, in just one or two frames to see if anyone can capture that and see, oh, wow, that's, that's exactly how the hack would have gone. <laughs> that's that's great. great. I love that they do that. So to take us home today, we were curious to know if you have any predictions on if or how hacking will affect the upcoming presidential election. <laughs> oh Way to open gosh. a can of worms, Shamula, <laughs> right at the yeah. end. <laughs> so, I mean, it's obviously infect- impacted the last election in a major way. And the way I think the big hack here is our minds. People are infecting our minds in ways Ooh. that we don't. You, we didn't see coming, right? So they're getting us, they're rallying us on fear. I think fear is a big motivator here. These are the groups we need to be against, and these are the groups we need to hate, and these are the groups we are afraid of, and all these things. And that is something we need to be cautious of in our own minds. Because there are places like, um, if you watch the Netflix show, The Big Hack talks about Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes into such detail about how this company has used social media just to influence our brains into, you know, voting a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got Russia, who's got their whole meme bot army of trying to infiltrate social media just to inject conversation to get you to, you know, vote a certain way. And so just that alone is... These are the cards are against us. And as we go on social media, we're seeing we're just getting attacked by all kinds of things. So that is definitely going to happen again this year in a major way, if not already. Then at the same time, we have insecure voting machines. And I go to a hacker conference called DEF CON every year. And they always have voting machine hacker hacking village where you can actually hack a voting machine to see if you can change the votes and stuff. And they show you how vulnerable all these things are and the ones that are still out there today, like in use in production today. So, so voting machines are insecure. The whole I'm system is insecure. Is that we are fucked. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got people in power who are doing things like um, changing the voting lines in counties and seats to try to make it so that, you know, the gerrymandering and oh, stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's just all kinds of weird hacks that, uh, you know, aren't always technological hacks, but still they're pushing... They're pushing different, you know, us away from democracy. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) totally. (laughs) Well, is there anything that we as citizens can do about how fucked we are or no? (laughs) I I like to follow the EFF, this the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and they are a nonprofit that looks for looks out for our our digital rights and sees when things start getting taken away or they're unfair. And so um, 
I always like to support them and stuff. So EFF.org can tell you all about ways that you can call your senator to tell them, hey, vote yes or no on this bill or whatever. And it's weird because like my dad will watch the news and thinks he has a good grip on these topics. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dad, I'm the one who spent my whole career on technology. You need to listen to me (laughs) and not your, your, your news story story, who's telling you something that doesn't have any valid Mm -hmm. argument. Mm. And I don't know why I can't even convince him to like call the senator and tell them not to do this thing or do this. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really do recommend that everyone checks out your podcast. I listened for this interview, but really did get hooked and I'm excited to check out more episodes. So thanks for wowing and depressing us. It's another great (laughs) Monday. Thanks so much, Jack. Yeah, it's happy to be here. Everything is so gray in the realm of hacking, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's cool that they're like, I think of them as like real life, like James Bond people like sneaking into buildings and hacking them. But I also, I'm sorry, I'm just going to stereotype here. I picture them as like suave James Bond, but also like guy who spends his life in the basement on computers. So it's like, I'm picturing like sort of slovenly guy in a hoodie, but who's also like kicking ass and like breaking through windows. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fun image for me personally. But anyway, yeah. Well, in one of the episodes, I think it was Big House, uh, the one guy, I forget his name, unfortunately, but he was a penetration tester and he was talking about a physical break-in that he did or he like went through an open yeah. window and you probably listened to that one. Right. And he described himself as chubby and he like landed on the desk inside the window mm-hmm. and he broke the desk. And it was just so funny yeah. to think of like this penetration testing James Bondy guy like being chubby exactly. and breaking a desk. Yeah. Exactly. You explained I don't know if that's common, it but. better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. 2G1P listeners, go beef up your security. That's right. <laughs> if you've and, been hacked, tweet no, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love to hear any stories from people out there about hacking. If you hacked or have been hacked, like we definitely want to know what happened. So you can tweet at me at June Mugger, J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. You can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail and that number is 347-871-6548 that number again 347-871-6LIT and if you need to check on that number again just look in the show notes it will be right there you can also join our discord we learned today that it's a hacker's paradise so come join (laughs) us Uh, discord.gg slash 2g1p listeners of the show are coming on submitting questions interview ideas and just also getting to know one another. We'd love to see you there. Ali, if they'd like to contribute, how do they do it? You can visit patreon.com slash 2G1P. And it turns out we're still in the middle of a pandemic and uh, any little bit would really help us out. So patreon.com slash 2G1P. There are perks at different levels. And we hope if you've been listening for some time that you'll consider leaving us a dollar. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. assistance is provided by the podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe. Where are you, little Fitbit?